All right, good morning everyone. It is 10 o'clock. If you're like me, you're surprised the time went by so quick. But I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. I'm glad y'all are so happy to be out together. That's the way it should be, right? So that's wonderful. I think that's fantastic. So last week we left off, we were ready to do question seven. And question seven is what is the rich man like in his pursuits? Now you might remember this was coming from verses 10 and 11 here in the first chapter of James. We are in James, I'm sorry, we are in James chapter one. And this was question number seven down in our book. Verses 10 and 11 say, but, well, actually you have to read nine too because it goes with it. So let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat, than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So we're told that like the flower in the field, that's all bright and pretty at first and looks very good. That Same with the rich man. He may be all dressed nice and look very good and clean, but he will still wither and fade away like everything else, like all the rest of us. Whether you're rich or poor, we're all going to meet that same end someday in this life, unless the Lord returns first, in which case we're still all going to meet the same end in this life, <laughs> but it would be different for those who are saved and those who are not. So let's look at the next few verses. Let's look at verses 12 through 16. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot Okay, sorry. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So if we look down at question eight, when is the man who endures temptation blessed? And this is an answer of when. He has to remain in his faith and not become weak and falter when he has proved, right? When he has proved himself through the test. We will have, in this life, I believe, we will have the same tests and the same trials until we learn to overcome them. That's, that's the way it seems to be in my life. Until I learn to do better, I keep making the same stupid mistake. I keep doing the same thing. So that's the way it seems to me. 
Now also, how will he be blessed? He will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that is like the victor's crown. You will receive the victor's crown because you will have won out over whatever that lesson is, whatever that sin is. <coughs> yes? This reminds me of um, the first part of uh, Genesis where Adam and Eve were in the garden. <coughs> How it progressed. Right. Well, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, yeah, they were tempted, but... I mean, that, show, that shows the bad side, right? That shows how when you fail, how that doesn't work out because that brought death into the world for everyone, right? That, so, yeah, there is the, the bad side of this. So, um, question number nine, what should no one say when they are tempted? That they're tempted by God. That they're tempted by God, right. Because we're not tempted by God. And he goes on to explain that, so I won't rattle on, but right, we're not tempted by God. So why? Why? That's the second part of this question. Why? Excuse me? Right, it's not part of his nature. God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. Right? And it's not part of his nature. That's correct. Yes? His nature is to give us a way of escape so that we're not tempted. He does always give us a way to escape the temptation to, to do differently. That's true. He had to tempt us, but we're drawn away by our own desires. That's right. That's what James says and gets into. Right. We're tempted by our own desires, by our own wants. Do you want to have anything else? Yes. Um, a lot of times, as humans, we don't want to fess up or take the blame for what we've done. And we, yeah. we look to blame someone else. Well, I, I'm doing the best I can, but Satan made me do it. Or this person... <laughs> Right. We don't we don't want to take responsibility. We play that blame game just like you see Pat was mentioning back in Genesis. You see that there. They start blaming one, you know, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the snake, I mean, or the serpent. Anyway, it just, you know, it's the blame game that happens, and you see that a lot of times where people are tempted and they give in to that temptation. Does anyone have anything else? All right. So then we've kind of answered, uh, thanks to Shirley, we kind of answered 10. How are we tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires, when we're enticed by the things that we want and we desire, even when we know we shouldn't or that they're bad for us? And we have to admit that that does happen. That is the case. So, if we look at question 11, 
When is sin born? Desires, you see something you want it, and that's that's when it's born, and then it right. It's born. Okay. Did you have something as well, Eileen? I just said when you act on it. Right. Okay. Right. When, because we have that desire, and when it's conceived, when we act upon that desire, right? That's when we're sinning, right? We may want something, but if we stop ourselves, if we don't do that, whatever that is then we've not really sinned. We've controlled ourselves, which is the goal, at least, right? Well, It'd be better not to have the desire. Yes? It's okay to want something, but but uh, if it's, it's something that you shouldn't have or, or is it against, against God's will. Right. It depends on what the desire is, right? We can want a lot of things that are good, and there's no sin in wanting those things, but sometimes, like when I'm angry and I really just want to punch somebody, that's wrong. There's no reason for that. I, I mean, not really, just that I'm mad. But that's not a good reason for it. Um, so that would be a sin if I acted on that desire, right? So, and that was just the first thing that popped in my head. I'm not usually a puncher, but nonetheless, I'll just... Anyway, um... Does anyone have anything else on that before we move to the, I think, what, the second part here? So what does sin produce when it's full grown? When you've done that action? Spiritual death. Spiritual death, death, yes. It produces, because if we give into those actions and we continue to do that repetitively and we're not repenting and we're not backing off of that, we are going to have spiritual death, right? Yes. I think a lot of times we don't really recognize what that means and what that looks like because we can't see our spirit. We might know that we messed up and that we are walking too close in the darkness and dark places and not in the light, but when we look at it, how it uh, affects our relationship with God, that we're separated from Him because of what we've done. Right, right. When we experience, I've heard spiritual death described as just being apart from God. I feel like in the long run, there's more to it than that, but because we will be, you know, cast away into the outer darkness or into the pit where we're, where we don't belong, right? Yes. Right. Spiritual death, if you, yes, if you are away from God and you never repent and don't come back, we know from Revelation there's going to be an end of time where you can't come back at that point, right? Just like if we're totally unrepentant and we've been very sinful all our lives and we die in that state, we will also experience spiritual death. That's a very sad thing. That's what we don't want anyone to experience. Yes. And know what it would have 
Christian like to go to heaven and be with God and then fall away and have eternity to know what you gave up for sin? Right. To be a Christian and then not actually follow God and then to end up being lost for eternity, that would be the worst because you would know what you were missing. That's That would be awful. That does sound like that would be very bad to me. So, yes, Jim. Uh, we've been looking at what causes us to sin here. And John, uh, in First John chapter 2, uh, tells us exactly what those desires are that leads us away. In First uh, John, second chapter, verse 16, For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So there's these three categories of lust on our part that leads us away into the path of sin. Right, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, just in case you couldn't hear. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And these are everything that we desire that is incorrect falls into those categories. And that's what Jim was reminding us there. All of the, that, that, that tells us everything that, uh, well, anyway, everything would fall into those categories. So. Does anyone have anything else? All right, so those are the things we want to avoid. So, but then we, if we look at question number 12, wait, I, have, I didn't read the following uh, verses. Hold on, so let's read verses 16 through 18. And I included 16 in this because 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, and I feel like that goes with the previous verses, but I think it also goes with this verse. Because of the previous verses, it says, it's telling us, you know, let no one say you're tempted by God because we're tempted by our own desires. Do not be deceived. But then down here, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I just feel like that verse ties both and goes with both of those situations. So question number 12, what is the source of every good gift and every perfect gift? It's all from above, so it means it's all from God. It's all from God. It's all from our Heavenly Father who is our source for everything, right? So, all good things, all perfect things come from God. You think that question would say who instead of what? Well, I guess that's probably right. It probably should say who, but who knows when they were doing this, maybe they were just, you know, just a mistake. Because, yeah, that should say who. Okay, so uh, question 13, 
How has God brought us forth or given us birth? Of his own will, by the word of truth, right? He brought us forth the same as he brought everything else forth. He spoke everything into existence. And then if we look at the second part of this, why did he do this? Well, because of his love for us, yes. Because right, we're the first fruits of his creatures, right, and we're his children, right. Yes, and we should accept. We should set the example as Christians, right? Yes. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right, so let's read the next few verses, uh, verses 19 through 25. Now in 19, he starts, so then, meaning because of what he has previously said. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, again, referring back to what he's just said because of this wrath not producing righteousness, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow or abundance of wickedness and receive the meekness, uh, I'm sorry, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So, question 14, what does James desire of his beloved, of his beloved brethren? Yes, ma'am. Yes, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, which... Well, you know, we know we have failings in that area sometimes, but that's something we need to need to be. We need to be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Very hard to do. Very hard to do, yes, that is. I'm still working on that myself, I know. It's very hard to do those things. But it's very good for us to do them, right? So that leads us to question 15. I think this is a good segue to that. Why should one be slow to wrath? Yes. 
You can do a lot of damage when you, yes, yeah, speak or do things in anger. That's very true. Yes, Matt. our temper we, we think we're accomplishing something and we're convincing that person that they're wrong or we're getting back at them or whatever but the reality is it doesn't produce the righteousness of God we might win the argument or make the person mad or whatever but we aren't producing righteousness right because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God right I mean even within ourselves when we're mad at that moment even if we're technically we think we're in the right whatever it's still does not produce the right fruits. Yes. Um, later on in the book, James talks about the tongue, and we know that when we get <coughs> upset and we lose our tempers and we lose self-control and cause the damage, um, like she's mentioning, um, the tongue, the words that we say are very hurtful. And once they come flying out of our mouth, you know, it's hard to take that back because they've already Right. Yes. And yes, we do need to have self-control. We need to control our tongue, which is something that we will be getting into, as I'm sure most people know. In James, we will be speaking of that later. And, uh, yeah, we do need to have a slow fuse and have control of ourselves and, and not just, you know, spit out everything's in your head. Yes. And what comes to my mind, be angry, but sin not. Yes. Be angry, but sin not. That's right. So, uh, when you sin not, it's when you don't act on that anger. It's when we shut up, right? I mean, sometimes when we're mad, we just have to shut up. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Yes. God was slow with his wrath when um, the children of Israel were in Egypt. He gave ten plagues. It showed his slowness to give them a chance to let the people go. But he gave them wrath ten times. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, God shows that he is slow to wrath, and we should emulate God. I mean, like, like your example... With uh, Pharaoh and the children of Egypt, I mean the children of Israel, he gave Egypt, you know, all these times, all these, he gave Pharaoh all these chances, you know. Um, and then it really wasn't until Pharaoh and the army was really chasing the children of Israel that they really got what I would consider true wrath because then they were killed. I also think that Jesus and the yeah, now when Jesus ran the money changers out, that would have been something to to see firsthand because that's just not how that's not how I ever think of the Lord. But yeah, but that's a fact. I mean, he. But they were, you know, they were doing wrong in the house of God. So it was a righteous anger. Yes, his was a righteous anger. I, I wonder. I, I just. I have to doubt myself. I don't know if I would ever have as good or righteous anger as he would. <laughs> so, yes. I wonder here when it says the, the anger of man, if, if that's sort of saying, you know, humanly fleshly anger that we as men have, if 
people versus the anger of God. I mean, God has righteous judgment, and Jesus is exhibiting that. And there are times when we could appropriately be angry for, for God's sake and handle it in the way Jesus did. There, yeah, there are, I'm sure there are times we could be appropriately angry. Um, and I'm sure there is that comparison, the wrath of man versus the righteousness, the judgment, and the wrath of God, which is true. I just wonder if our wrath and our emotion would ever be, you know. But there are, I'm sure there would be appropriate times we would be angry for God, you know. Uh, you can probably think of examples when you've heard people say or things that were pretty bad and uh, claim things that were wrong. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So, what needs to be laid aside? That's our next question. Right, it says filthiness, and, and it says overflow, which another translation of that is abundance of wickedness. So, all filthiness... So anything we would consider, or anything God really would consider, to be filthiness or wickedness. I think he's kind of amplifying what he's just said as far as, you know, uh, this anger, this wrong kind of anger. Mm -hmm. that's, that's wicked. You know, it's filthy. It's, it's wrong. Exactly. We should, like verse 19, we should be instead... Right, we should be, right, see all this flows together, this is meant to be, this is in context, it is together, so this filthiness and overflow does go back to the wrath of man that we don't want to have, and we need to be, you know, gentle and kind and swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. So we need to lay aside our wrath as well as other forms of th things that would be bad. But in this case, that's the, the context of this. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. So what needs to be received with meekness? God's word. God's Word, right? We go to God, we, we admit that we don't know what we need to know. We're meek, we're humble, we come to God wanting to learn from Him. And then the next part of that question is why? Right, it is able to save it says your, or we can say our, it's able to save our souls, the word of God, right? Yes. It's interesting. This makes me think back when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, the soils, or however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. He's casting the seed. The yeah, the parable of the sower, yeah. That maybe that's, that's the imagery. Calling it the implanted word. That's what it makes me think of. For the good soil, it's in our heart. 
Yes, because James says the implanted word, and that does make you think back to that parable of the sower of the seeds. And being, making sure we have good soil, that we have open hearts for the word of God. So if we look at, let's do uh, one more question, question uh, 18. To avoid deceiving ourselves, what must we be? Doers. We must be doers of the word, right? We must be living out the word. Um, that's Sometimes people wonder, well, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? That's to live out the word every day in our daily lives, right? So we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. Yes? It makes me think of different things that we do during the day. Uh, we see something that needs done, but if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. And just like uh, uh, somebody picks up a recipe and looks at it and wants to bake a cake, they see it, they hear it. But in order to get that cake, they've got to do it. Right. So you have to do what needs to be done. You have to do, you have to actually do it to accomplish or get the results that you want. Just like with, like you were saying, a recipe or anything else, you have to actually act on it and do it to achieve those results, like that cake or whatever. Yes, Eileen? This, this reminds me of the major world, for the most part, that loves to be called a Christian, loves his word, loves so much about being a Christian, but they're not doers of God's word. They, they like it to say that they are, and they feel good about going to church, you know, for the moment. But then when they leave the, the building or whatever, they're back to their norm. Right. So not, that, that saddens me because I want them to know more about what God's word is and be doers. Right. It is. They have, a, they have a hard shell and don't want to hear more about what God really Right. It is sad to think about people hearing and, and saying they're Christians and they want to claim that, but they don't really act it out because that's not really. I can say for sure that it's really good, but they haven't investigated it deep enough to know all that God's word Right. Right. And we, we do need to know how we should be acting, what we need to be doing, right? So. And that, that is sad that people are like that. Yes? I think of the, the rich young ruler. He heard what Christ had to say. And Christ told him, you know, he had to sell all and give to the poor. But he went away sorrowful. Right. <clears throat> yeah, he... Uh, he wasn't a doer. <coughs> Pardon me. Yeah, the rich young ruler who... He wanted to know what he needed to do, and the Lord told him to uh, sell all he had, right, and follow him. And he sort of missed the point on that. It's not that he wasn't necessarily keeping the law or doing good. I don't think Jesus would have invited him to follow him if, if he didn't think he would have been a good, maybe a good disciple. But uh, nonetheless, he went away sorrowful. Yes. Doing actions of righteousness. 
2323, he talked about uh, making sure they spent time in the weightier matters of making sure that they have faith, mercy, and justice, rather than majoring in all these small, minutiae things about how much they were to tithe and, and all these things they could get wrapped up in all the little details and then their Jewish tradition, which were not even part of the law. But they got so caught up in that, they didn't even pay attention to the really important things. Right. In Matthew 23, the Lord talks about that. They are... Um, so caught up in the tithing of the different things and they neglect the weightier matters and they, they get caught up in their... We know the Pharisees got very caught up in customs and traditions, really even outside of what God had told them and uh, that they actually made a lot of those as if they were part of the law. So, And then they, like you say, they did neglect the weightier matters. They got caught up in those things. So I'm sorry our time is up. I've actually run over a little. So I want to thank you all for your attention and your interaction. I will, we will pick us back up with the next, uh, we'll, we'll pick up with uh, 19, I guess, next week. Okay. Thank you.